know, Rodney joked about being here. He grew up, you're in church Sunday morning, and you're in church Sunday evening, and then you come back Wednesday, you get a message, a message, a message. Um, at lunch, I was talking to Robin and Jeff and said, what would you think about that? I said, well, there'd be three crummy messages if, you, if, 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 if I preach three times in a week. But one of our core convictions is, um, is meetings that matter, meaning we're not going to duplicate what we do in multiple meetings just because we need to put in time. Meetings that matter equals you matter because your time is your life. If we mess around with your time, we're not taking you seriously. So... Rodney spends a lot of time, he doesn't just ad-lib on Sunday mornings, he, he's thinking, he's praying, not just about the songs, but about what he's going to say. I pray over, choose my words, and there's nothing wrong if a church wants to go two hours, that's fine, but, but our kind of built-in commitment is we're going to take an hour and, and we're going to keep that commitment, because we, we want to take your time seriously, and so I say that because who we are on a, on a Sunday afternoon, and we're training. Training is taking, your, taking you seriously. Training um, as group leaders, and, and after 34 years together, I've, I've heard it many, many times where the training that goes on here directly impacts you at work, in your personal life. <clears throat> so we know that the training, has, the training we do together has broad applications. So I don't take your time, we don't ever take your time anything other than seriously, and we don't train a lot. You know, we have, we have like two per semester, and I know it's difficult even to come out on a Sunday afternoon to get your kids up from naps and all that, but we're committed to training. Training is super valuable. So what we're going to do, I'm going to do a training piece right now, and then Rodney's going to come up and lead in it's training, but it's more devotionally centered, more heart centered. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do more. I'm gonna do the head. Rodney's gonna do the heart, kind of. And then um, we're gonna get done in time to where you can leave your kids in childcare and go out and get some snacks. So we'll we'll see how long we have for that. And that's that's also an intentional time for you guys to interact with one another. So I'm gonna ask a question where I don't want you to answer out loud. Just think, and then I'm gonna ask you a question where I'd like you to throw out um, some answers. So First is, just think about this. Why do you believe in and trust the Bible? So what, what are the intellectual reasons, the, the cognitive reasons? What are the emotional reasons? What are the spiritual reasons? You know, like flesh and blood has not revealed this. And, you know, I use spiritual with scare quotes because it's like, well, it could just be something inside of you that God's done. But what are the reasons you trust and believe in the Bible? And second, what reasons have you had personally or heard that people have had who struggle to trust the Bible, why they don't trust the Bible? So what have you heard? What are some reasons? Just throw them out. Inconsistent. Inconsistent. It's been changed. It's been changed. Can't be sure. Can't be sure. When, it was when it was written. Written by humans. Written by humans. What else? Too old. Too old. Too many versions. Too many versions. Archaeology disproves it. The archaeology disproves it. The Old Testament is mean. Old Testament is mean. It was all written by men. All written by men. Great. So Francis Schaeffer wrote, The God Who Was There, 
His, his, he wrote a lot of books, but his famous trilogy, God Who Is There, He Is There and Not Silent, Escape from Reason. And he and his wife had a ministry in Switzerland where, called Labrie, the shelter, where students from all over the world, starting in 1955 till his death in 84, would find their way to his house. This is, now, this is pre-internet time. To me, it's miraculous how many people found their way to Labrie pre-internet time. I had a friend that got, went there and came to Christ in the 70s. And, and Francis and his wife, Edith, had a ministry where where people would come and they would just show hospitality, love them, and, and answer their questions. And this was in a very disorienting time in American history. Vietnam War, Watergate, drug culture, the sexual revolution, really postmodern times were kicking in, loss of truth. And there was one person who came to Labrie. This is probably, there's probably many, but one person in particular I was reading about who in the group sessions where Francis and Edith were enormously patient, was more interested in being impressive than finding truth. He went on and on and on in this group session. And finally, Schaefer, in, in his very kind way, said, if you have a real question, I will take all night listening to you, but I will not play with the truth. And so that's how we want to lead our groups, with that kind of gentleness and willingness to sacrifice. So you're, sacrifi you're sacrificing right now for your group. You say, well, I'm not, nobody's shooting at me. I, I, I know all that, you know, racking and stacking suffering. Nobody's shooting at me. We get that. Nobody's shooting at you. It's still a sacrifice. You're here and not somewhere else. And so you're sacrificing, and, and we, we, need, we need that kind of gentleness and willingness to sacrifice, but we have to have that kind of clarity. We're gonna, we will listen in love. We'll pay a price to do it. But we're people who are not going to play games with the truth. There's too much at stake. Everything is at stake. So we don't play with the truth here. We can't. We're going to laugh. We're going to have fun, but we're not going to play with the truth. Julian Huxley was an atheist who said that somehow or another, against what one might expect, man functions better if he acts as though God is there. That's because God is there, Julian. And it's like saying man functions better if he acts as though gravity or oxygen is there. Huxley was a leader of the British Humanist Society, which was humanist, not not as in humanitarian, but humanist as in atheist, secular. And he was a serial adulterer. He was chronically depressed. He wanted an open relationship with his wife, and he re relied on his wife, who he cheated on, for moral and practical support. So you see a, you see a problem with that. <coughs> a personal God has made us in his own image. We would expect a personal God to communicate to us in verbalized form, since he's made us verbalized beings. And if you were God and you wanted to communicate to humans who you are, what you value, how would you do it? Well, you would speak directly using words. Did that. You would show up in your actions. You would reflect it in what you did. Did that. You would show up in person. Did that too. Now, what if you wanted to communicate to multiple generations? How would you do that? Well, you would want a written record and one that could be verified and protected for as long as necessary. That's exactly what we have. And what I want to do now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm assuming you have confidence in the Bible. I'm also assuming many people you lead don't. And if they don't have confidence in the Bible, they're going to have less confidence in applying it. And that can be a great disaster for their lives, or will be. So the purpose of the Bible is the revelation of, God, of Christ, who is the revelation of God. And the Bible can be understood according to these eight categories. It's not on the back. I don't need it, but let me make sure you guys have it. So the law... You can divide the Old Testament and the Old Testament into four parts, New Testament into four parts. Law prep foundation for Christ, history, 
preparation for Christ. Poetry is aspiration for Christ. Prophecy is expectation of Christ. That's the Old Testament. New Testament, the Gospels, the manifestation of Christ. The Acts, the propagation of Christ. Epistles, the application of Christ. Revelation, the consummation in Christ. You get the point. Christ is the reason for the revelation of Scripture. He's also the interpretive key to the Bible. And he's the interpretive key to our very lives. So the Bible is the word of God, is truth with no mixture of error. And people have and do struggle with this. And when they struggle to have confidence in the Bible, they struggle to apply it to their own great harm. So we're going to do some training about reasons for our confidence in the Bible. And I'm not necessarily after you. I can send you my notes. You're welcome to them. Or Rodney can just put them on, online. You can download them if you want them. But I'm not necessarily after you know, you being able to remember all these details, but I'm, but I'm more after the tone, just confidence and distill confidence in people. Let me read a couple of scripture. This is 2 Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Now, he was talking about the Old Testament primarily. So you can, they can make you wise to salvation to Christ, the Old Testament. <laughs> All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we are with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And, and um, Peter would say that, that some people misuse Paul's words, which as they do other scriptures. And so at, at this time already, there wasn't just the Old Testament, but they, but they knew that God was speaking through the apostles. So God's revealed himself to humans using their personalities, their styles, their experiences, but what they wrote is divine inspiration. He's given us his word in a variety of literary styles, different genre, through at least 40 different people, and it's truth with no mixture of error. God gave it to us. But humans wrote it, so humans are not perfect. How can it be perfect? Look, you can find math books that, are, that don't have any errors in them. I mean, it's possible to find a math book with no errors in it. Humans can write things that don't have errors. God can easily see to it that we got a perfect Bible. The Bible is not a science book, but when it touches on science, it does not err. The same with history, the same with ethics. It's truth with no mixture of error. When during the time of Galileo, there was the debate about you know, how the Bible supposedly didn't taught that the universe, the cosmos, was earth-centric, and Galileo was supposedly persecuted for being a scientist, and the Bible was wrong. Galileo was a believer. He wasn't refuting um, the Bible. He was saying the Bible doesn't say that. And it wasn't just the church. It was the academy. It was scientists who had a problem with Galileo. But there are many versions of the Bible. How do we know that we, what we have is the right one? There are a lot of translations, and people think versions means entirely different books. The Revised Standard Version, the English Standard Version, the New International Version. These aren't different Bibles. They're different translations, 
with differences in theory as to how to accurately translate from one language to another. Some are more word for word, some are more idea for idea. But they all use the many manuscripts that God has providentially provided for. Some are better than others. If you use a good translation, you have God's word, you can be sure of it. Dan Brown, the infamous author of the Da Vinci Code, in, early, in the early 2000s he wrote these, a trilogy. It's, it's non-historical fiction about a supposed conspiracy to, to suppress the real truth of Jesus in the Bible. It's just utter nonsense. There's nothing scholarly about it. But books, and, books like it have undermined the confidence of some in the Bible. And just before Christmas, I was sitting a social tap with a friend who's an agnostic. And he said, the Bible was determined at the Council of Nicaea by a bunch of people. And I said, no, they didn't even deal with the canon at Nicaea. It wasn't even a, wasn't even a topic. It was, it was who Christ is. And there were times when the church met and discussed, see, that Nicaea, I knew right where he got that. He got that from Dan Brown. And there were times when the church met and discussed what books were scripture, but what, they weren't determining scripture, they were recognizing it. The councils didn't decide scripture, God did, and the church was already using it, and the church had very specific guidelines for what was scripture. So my friend got his misinformation from a non-reliable source, and his response to me was, I didn't know that. And my goal for this time is not so you can remember certain facts or win arguments. And by the way, there wasn't any argument with my friend. He asked, we talked, he was grateful. It was a conversation inside of a relationship. And my goal is that, again, you'd be able to help people you lead when necessary to have confidence in the Bible. You're not necessarily going to be answer every question they have. But if you can even just be able to say, there's answers to those questions. And the questions, they're legitimate questions, but a lot of them are just nonsense. And many of the people you lead, they already have confidence in the Bible. They don't really have real questions. And that's fine. It's not an irrational position. Don't try to talk someone into a question they don't have one. My grandma had no questions about the Bible. She did, I believe it. Why do you believe it? It's true. And for her, God had just given her that confidence. Others have hard-won hard battles to believe the Bible. They've wrestled with it. Either one's okay. Some people believe and don't know why. That's okay too, but there could be a question coming that will unsettle them. They just haven't heard the question yet. So in my small group too, in our small group, Robert's small group, he's our leader, um, a man in his late 60s, Robert said, what, what questions do you have? We're talking about the, you know, the, the secret things of God and and this guy is late 60 said, I don't have any questions. Now, let me give you the backstory. This guy is super intelligent, well-educated, knows the Bible really well. His response is belief on the other side of years of experience with God. It's simplicity on the other side of complexity. What I've found to be super interesting, and not something I ever would have guessed, is that I've found that river next kids have more trouble with mystery than older people in our church do. That's fascinating to me. So when I go talk to those kids... And I say, nobody knows it is mystery. They really have a problem with that. If I talk to Kevin, who's a brilliant engineer, he's like, I'm good. <laughs> and we've had those conversations. Isn't that fascinating? Part of it is Job 42.5, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. You know, when you've seen him, you just go, I don't know, but, you know, I've seen him. So it's okay to have questions. It's okay to... To not have questions, there are answers for those who need them. So let me give you some books as reference points if you're feeling ambitious or curious. Um, the second one is the hardest one and the, the one that you probably don't want to read, but it's really very comprehensive, 
Aaron, you've probably read that, haven't you? The books, you haven't read it? Okay, it's kind of a go-to. The first one is the most comprehensive, very readable. Scribes and Scripture is the shortest one. <laughs> Who wrote the Gospels? Very specific. And then evidence of man's a verdict, and more evidence of man's a verdict, deal with the resurrection and then the Bible. And it's more of like a resource um, if, you wanna, if you want to. Now, if you say, I don't want to read any of that, go to the next slide. Then listen to this when you're driving around. Trace did last spring um, River Christian training class. You can get it online. And is there, Trace, where are you, Trace? Is there four of them or three of them? Four of them. And the first one is about the canon of Scripture, how we got it. So if you don't want to read those books, just pull this up and listen to it when you're driving around. Um, Trace did all the reading. You can just listen to him talk. Um, so let me give a summary point of the main, the main points regarding Scripture using, a, using an acrostic I put together years ago. And this acrostic, all the questions that you guys said that people have with the Bible, it's in these, it's in this, um, these, these eight points. Um, the Bible, B-I-B-I-B-L-E. So the T stands for the Bible matches what's there. It, it matches what we see in the world. And it also embedded in that, and it changes lives. It works. So it matches what we see, and it works. So God is there. God has spoken. His word, as you would expect, matches what's there. So when you look around the world and say, why is there beauty? The Bible tells you why. Why is there majesty in humans? The Bible tells you why. Why are humans so messed up? The Bible tells you why. It just tells you. When you look, when you look in the Bible and, and understand the Bible, you look around, it matches and then it works. So the Bible, when applied, even by non-believers, works. I don't mean for salvation. But when, but when non-believers apply what the Scripture says about leadership or families or sound thinking, it works. The Bible, when not applied, even by believers, works to their harm. See, how can that person, they're a believer and their life's falling apart? Well, because they're proving the Bible true by not doing it, by not living it. So the Bible works. That's the T. H, historical evidence, archaeology. Brenda? So there's a number of historical facts that were only known in Scripture. There was no other um, um, documents or evidence of these, like the city of AI A, and other things like that. And they dug around the dirt and they found something and it proved the Bible true. This has happened over and over. Every time they dig in the dirt over there, they find something that proves the Bible. They've never dug in the dirt and found anything that disproved the Bible. So there's a book, I don't think I have it up there, it's called The Popular Handbook of Archaeology in the Bible. It's by Norman Geisler. If, you, if you're curious in this, you, that, that's what he deals with. And he goes through and shows a lot of those evidences. The Popular Handbook of Archaeology in the Bible by Geisler. There are a lot of books and, and, and articles that describe how the Bible's proven true. There are some people in who... A famous archaeologist went out to disprove the Bible by digging around the dirt, became a Christian the more he dug in the dirt. So unlike the Book of Mormon, for instance, who says all this stuff happened in North America and none of it's there, it's all nonsense. There's no archaeological evidence. The E stands for in times um, or prophecy or, or how the Bible consistently was correct in its prophetic announcements. So the coming of the Christ thousands of years before he came, exile, the, the destruction of the temple, on and on and on. You, you can't make that stuff up. And people can say, well, it was retroactively written. That's just, there's no historical evidence for that being the case. 
The Bible doesn't tell us as much as some people say about the future, but when it spoke about the future, it was always right, and it always will be right. The B stands for bibliographic, and by that I mean just the sheer number of manuscripts, the bibliographic data. There are 6,000 whole or portions of Greek manuscripts of the New Testament, 6,000, 25,000 total counting Greek and other ancient and other languages. The second place book in antiquity, the second place behind the New Testament with 25,000 is Homer's Iliad with 643 manuscripts. The gap between Homer and other, so what's the, the autographs, the original, and what's extant or existing, the gap between the second place behind the New Testament, between the autographs and what we have, a thousand years. The gap between the autographs and the New Testament, we have a hundred years or less. The autographs, the original, are not, inf they're, they're infallible. The copies, we don't, nobody thinks the copies are infallible. You say, well, then how do we know what we got is accurate? Because God gave us 25,000, and there's this science called textual criticism, which isn't criticized in the Bible. It's taken all these manuscripts, and they have learned ancient languages and customs and courtesy. They know these documents inside and out, and they can figure out, God has allowed them to figure out, this, this is what the autographs look like. And there's no debate over major theological issues. You're just over minor issues. And your Bible will footnote it. Some manuscripts say this. So what we have is reliable. God is seeing to that. So when you think about textual criticism, if you got this message from a reliable source, do you understand what I'm trying to say? So there's some, there's some errors in that. But did you get the message? You got the message. Textual criticism is, okay, there's this and there's that, and there, okay, this guy fell asleep, this scribe fell asleep, and he wrote that word wrong or whatever. But 100% of the message has come through. The I is internal consistency. It's non-contradictory. But it's not just non-contradictory. So someone said one of the arguments they've heard is the Bible contradicts itself. And it absolutely does not. That's always, whenever you ask people, it's always because they don't even understand the Bible it is, in fact, a miraculously consistent book. There are a lot of books out there now, a lot of good research on the way the Bible's put together. I, for, I didn't put these on a slide. I can, I can give them to you if you're interested, but um, there's three that I've read. God's Kingdoms Through God's Covenants by Wellam. I'm actually reading that now. You read that, Aaron. I'm, I'm working my way through it. A phenomenal book by, did you have Wellam? Have you had Wellam? Yeah. And a brilliant young theologian, the Unfolding Mystery, Discovering Christ in the Old Testament by Clowney, and then According to Plan by Goldsworthy. Have you read any more besides those that kind of, those are the ones you would recommend? Yeah, so I can give you those if you want to read one. Or this, they, they really show, and the Bible Project does this too in their videos, how the Bible is put together. But when you read the Bible as it's written, not out of context, it's, it's miraculous. There's no other word. It's not hyperbole. It's miraculous. I mean, how in the world? Thousands of years, multiple continents, 40 people, and it's not inconsistent. It's, oh my word, you know, there, you can't make this stuff up. The B, bestseller, God's hand is clearly on it. It's been smuggled, protected, died for. POW is one I know personally long for a Bible more than food. How do you explain that? It's the world's bestseller by far, not even close. So how do you explain its reach in mere human's terms? You can't. 
Men and women have given their lives to learn languages, to write down formerly non-written languages, just to translate the Bible. People spent their entire lives learning a language that wasn't written down, then so they can translate the Bible and write it down. And then the L, the Lord Jesus, he affirmed it, and those who wrote it, I'll come back to that. And then the last one is extra-biblical sources. So I did this across the years ago after reading More Evidence Demands a Verdict. These are kind of stolen from Josh McDowell's work because I was trying to figure out a way to keep some of these categories in my mind. So if it helps you to learn that acrostic or part of it, that's why I'm giving it to you. Um, Extra-biblical sources just means there's all kind of um, historical evidence around the time of the Bible that validate things that are in the Bible, even speak directly to it. For instance, a, a famous one would be Josephus. He was a Roman Jewish historian and a military leader who was born four years after Jesus died, and he wrote about the emerging Christian movement. So there are other, other extra-biblical books written during the first second century that confirm the Bible. There's another one that, that um, I, I wouldn't necessarily use um, all the time, but I will just, I'll use it now. It's just the confirmation of the Spirit. And I don't lead with this because you can't hang this in midair. And, and I don't lead with this because this is the argument the Mormons use. I've heard Mormon missionaries use this. Okay, can you feel this is the truth when you read it? Yeah, yeah, I, I actually think I do. And that's just how humans are wired. So don't, please don't lead with this one. Because as soon as somebody else comes along and gives them a debt, uh, you know, another feeling, they're going to drop your feeling and have... So, but I, I'm, saying, I'm saying this to insiders, to Christians. When you have a confirmation in your spirit, that's legitimate too. I can say that to you. Don't use that necessarily on immature Christians, but on mature Christians. You know, my grandma, that was, that was her go-to. That was fine, Granny. So then let's go back to Jesus in the Bible. Jesus affirmed the Old Testament as the Word of God. There's one verse, Matthew 22, 35, and he essentially quoted from the first book, Genesis, to the nearly last book, to um, Zechariah, second to last book. So all the righteous bloodshed on the earth will be charged to you from the blood of righteous Abel, he's quoting from Genesis, to the blood of Zechariah, right before Malachi, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. And, and this is just one verse, but over and over and over you read the New Testament, Jesus used the Old Testament which is the same Old Testament you and I have. It was recognized, widely used at his time. He didn't refute any of it, quite the opposite. He quoted from almost every book. The New Testament quotes from almost every Old Testament book. So when you have an Old Testament in your hand, you have a book that Jesus, God became flesh, affirmed. That's the Old Testament. So the Old Testament's mean. Well, then Jesus is mean. <laughs> and Jesus talked more about hell and judgment um, than, than anybody else in the Bible did, by the way. Nice guy Jesus did. The New Testament was written by eyewitnesses to Jesus, and all of it could be easily affirmed by eyewitnesses to Jesus or people who were eyewitnesses to Jesus were around like Paul. You know, he, he said, I was an apostle abnormally born. He saw the resurrected Christ. But he was hanging around with Peter and the boys, and they could have easily said, Jesus didn't say that. So all of it could have been dismissed or affirmed by those who knew Jesus. And the, old, the New Testament, as we have it, was used by the, by the church. The evidence is clear. You can read this in some of the books I gave you historically where there's documents saying they were using the books we have now in the New Testament. They were using it during those times. Um, this isn't true for the Apocrypha. 
If you have Catholic friends, you're wrestling with that. It's just not true for the Apocrypha. I'm not going to go into that. So the whole, whole Bible is confirmed by the Lord Jesus, start to finish. And so you start with Jesus. He's either liar, lunatic, Lord. If he's Lord, then you go to Scripture. He, appoint, he affirmed it. It all pointed to him. So Christ, the Word of God made flesh, has confirmed the Word of God written down for us so you can be confident and you can express your confidence. And, and I'm, we're doing this, we're training on this because we can't deviate, deviate from Scripture. Struggle to understand it, struggle to apply it, struggle with differences. When I was a seminary student, I read through the Bible over and over, and I would, I would, I would just jot down on a piece of paper. Every time I came to a passage I couldn't understand or explain to someone, I'd write it down. And I was writing down almost every verse <laughs> when I first started. And then I'd go read commentaries, and then I'd, I'd go through it again and go through it again. And you're going to spend the rest of your life doing that, but that's okay because we're starting with a true document. If we weren't starting with a true document, that would be an unbelievable waste of time. Differ Last thing I'll say is differences of opinions about what the Scripture says are not a problem. Christians, real Christians, agree on the gospel. And when we disagree on other issues... We can actually discuss and debate with hope because we're starting with the same authority. You can never get to the truth if you have yours and I have mine. It's, discussion's over. Conversation is blah, blah, blah. But since we have a common book that we believe is infallible, we can discuss and we can get closer and closer to truth. When we disagree, and, I've, and this has happened with me, we can high-five, you know, pass the ketchup, let's eat. Because we have a common authority that's infallible and true.